Blog Talk Radio. Three two three six seven nine oh eight four 
your views and your perspectives on the various issues and topics that we discuss. But before we discuss any of the issues and topics, you know how we roll. The way we get started with our party, we'd like to first and foremost introduce to you our political analysts and panelists for today. On that note, we first bring in Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the move. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. Now, one of the things, you know, Brother Africa, let me say off the bat, uh, we often talk about this war of attrition against African people, and the latest tool that they're utilizing in terms of this war against African people is charter schools. Now, interestingly, you know, when we talk about charter schools, we can't dismiss the notion in terms of this concern in terms of socioeconomics. Now, to the extent that people, kids suffer in terms of things like lack of quality foods or, you know, lack of sleep or homelessness, these things have a deleterious, a very negative impact on the behavior of young people. And these charter schools' position is that irrespective of the material conditions that these children come from, it's not an excuse. And so as a consequence, the punishment rendered to these children has been horrendous. Uh, recently, you know, there was a situation where they arrested a six-year-old female African child for having a tantrum. Now, if, now a six-year-old having a tantrum is nothing new. It, sh- it, it, sh- it, sh- it certainly doesn't warrant you no know, disciplinary action, but that's what they did. Secondly, we had a situation where the rest of the five-year-old male African child for hugging another classmate. Now, the mere fact that this, this child, uh, you know, did what five-year-olds do, which is to emulate what they see. So hug is a, it's an expression of warmth, of expression of love. It was, it was penalized, you know, by the administration at this charter school because it was received as somehow outside the norms. And lastly, uh, just another example in terms of the heinous nature in terms of this, this discipline that's being exactly against African people. Uh, two teenage girls are suspended for wearing braids. Now, clearly wearing braids is an expression of your African culture, and so therefore there's nothing wrong in terms of expressing who you are. But apparently those in these public schools take a position that any expression in terms of your Africanity is in fact some kind of violation of some type of protocol. Now, interestingly enough, Brother Africa, this whole no-excuse policy that's been implemented by these charter schools uh, speaks to a kind of um, obedience training. Uh, of course, obedience training is a term that was, that's been uh, bandied about by uh, educators. Essentially what it says, or what it means, is that in terms of obedience training, what you want to do is make sure you discourage any kind of expression, any kind of thought, you know, in these charter schools that are uh, in opposition, you know, to the, to the previews or precepts of Western society. And so, therefore, those things that genuinely uh, are frowned upon that uh, doesn't enrich, you know, the, uh, the Western worldview, then those things should be discarded. And so, therefore, what they're doing is consciously they're creating conditions to make sure that those kids don't question anything, particularly when it comes to uh, looking at, uh, you know, phenomenon and understanding, you know, how it impacts on their lives. And so by discouraging the smallest expression in terms of African thought or African behavior, then what they do essentially is they condition them to accept you know, the Western wider context and ter- Western context in terms of what life is all about. So this is a problem. So for those people who are legitimately or, or legitimately concerned about the aspirations or the interests of African children or the the uh, the uh, the elevation of humanity generally. It seems to me that you got to have the institutions in terms of combating, you know, this, this, this insanity that's permeated society. We have to see it for what it is, which is a war. And until we see it as a war, I've got a, I, I got a sinking suspicion that a lot of people will not perceive it as, as a necessity in terms of, you know, combating these kind of injustices that are happening at these charter schools. 
So we have to have the institutions in terms of making sure, you know, that our kids, you know, maintain a proper perspective, not only in terms of who they are, but understanding their contributions to, to society and humanity. And we only can do that with institutions. This stuff has to be reinforced because without that being reinforced, one thing is clear. The system systematically will make sure it 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 it, it, does, it does everything in its power in terms of uh, delegitimizing anything of, of African interest. So we got a fundamental problem. So we need institutions, and I encourage people to get about the business of building institutions. Thank you, brother Haki. Father, brother Haki. We now bring in Anthony Wills. Anthony Wills, welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation, the unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Finally, after we bring in Brother Brother. Robert Moses, Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I called Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that my faith tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Apple, for allowing me to be on the show. And Father and Brother Moses, we bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Peace, everybody. Brother Jay, resident researcher, looking forward to another type of program. Appreciate the privilege of being able to be here. All right, panelists, for the segment of the program, as always, we could talk about what's going on in your world and the community. Side on, Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay, a couple of things. Um, uh, this past November 15th marks the 21st anniversary of Kwame Ture's transition. And um, he made his transition back on November 15th, 1998, uh, as a result of cancer. And uh, he is uh, buried in Guinea. And, um, you know, and uh, some of the, some of the, some of the, the words he, he wrote and uttered during, during, during his lifetime are still very pertinent to this day. And uh, he was one of the most foremost exponents of uh, the objective of Pan-Africanism. And, um, you know, and he deserves to be uh, honored uh, for his contributions to the African Revolution. Also, there was a uh, conference of um, people of the first conference of people of African descent in the uh in the western hemisphere held in Venezuela last weekend uh between the 10th and the 12th and uh there were representatives from the all african peoples revolutionary party there in attendance and uh in light of the uh offensive going on against african people worldwide 
I think this conference is very significant. Okay, thank you, Brother Hefty. Father, Brother Hefty, we're bringing Brother Haki. What's going on in your world in the community, Brother Haki? Yeah, a couple of things, just to piggyback on what uh, Anthony is saying. Uh, there will be a tribute in Richmond, uh, Virginia, uh, to Brother Ka- Brother Kwame. And this tri- this uh, program will take place November 25th uh, between 6.30 to 9. And it will take place at the Western Memorial United Methodist Church in Richmond, the 1720 Mechanicsville Turnpike. For information, we ask people to call us at 202-246-4896 or area code 804-644-5830 or email us at info at a-aprp-gc.org. And we encourage people to come out and, and show their love and appreciation for the contributions uh, of Brother Kwame Toure, a.k.a. Stokely Carmichael. The second thing is, you know, and, and this is a sad bit of news, uh, the uh, African Union Ambassador, Dr. Rikana Chichombori Kwa, out of Zimbabwe, she was relieved of duty uh, by the uh, work of um, a, uh, the uh, Minister of, uh, the minister of uh, African Union, Musa Faka Muhammad. Uh, this guy is, uh, was a former Prime Minister of Chad in Central Africa. Now, the reason why Mrs. Uh, Kwa was removed was simply because of a couple of reasons. Number one, she advocated strongly in terms of the African diaspora. She understands that strong and unified Africa is only going to come about uh, with the participation of Africans throughout the diaspora, pushing the continent in terms in that direction. And so that was one of the things the Senate was frowned upon by many corrupt members of the African Union. Uh, also, the thing that also uh, resulted in her termination was the fact that uh, she talked about the kind of corruption, the endemic corruption that exists in West Africa, in particular, not just West Africa, but Central Africa as well, those French-speaking states. In fact, she talked about the fact that those countries contribute over $70 trillion a year to the France uh, coffers. So every year to the France finance ministry goes $70 trillion with a T uh, to France. And so one of the things that uh, the, the, out of Italy, there's an individual named Salvini, uh, he talked about the fact that one of the problems in terms of immigrants is that a, to a large extent, the France is responsible for the, um, uh, uh, for the increase in terms of immigrants simply because it essentially undermines the West African economy or Western or Central African economies by having a situation where, uh, you know, the money doesn't stay in those countries but actually go to France. And so this $7 trillion on these, on these 14 African states has a tremendous uh, impact in terms of their, their ability or lack of ability to actually provide for their own citizenry and develop their infrastructure. Uh, so this guy, Musa Faka uh, Muhammad, uh, it is quintessential um, uh, representative of the kind of uh, master-to-slave relationship that is so endemic to so many leaders on the continent and which, of course, we have to eradicate uh, so in any event, uh, he was successful. I mean, he was he was he was told by friends that that Miss Qua must go, and he did. Like the true slave that he is, he actually fired her, and she's no longer with us. So there's a big push in terms of trying to get her get her back, but it's going to be tough because this guy uh, this guy Muhammad uh, he's a, he's a he's a quintessential slave, and so therefore he takes his marching orders from the West, in particular to France from France, and so therefore it's going to be a real struggle, but it's one nonetheless. We're undertaking in terms of trying to get her back. Hmm, that's interesting. We'll come back to that. Next, Father and Brother Haki, um, Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and community? 
Yes, uh, it's been an interesting week. Uh, I've been trying to keep up with this presidential situation. Uh, I'm very interested in what happens at the governmental level, and uh, you know, certainly it's it's been uh, interesting. People testifying and basically reinforcing the idea that. Uh, there was a quid pro quo, and that he was bargaining and and, uh, and uh, bribery, and that uh, you know, hopefully he will be impeached. Uh, I, it's, it's been I've had a lot of personal things to deal with this week because it's been kind of slow. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses. Brother Bobby, what's going on in your world? There's a couple of interesting articles, um, both of them centering similar around similar subject matter. And the question that I want to raise for further discussion is, why is it that so many um, Africans are engaging in, in supporting institutions that are um, counterintuitive to their progress? And let me give a couple of examples. One of them was an article that talked about the West Point Academy, how it had a high number of black female graduates. Now keep in mind this is the institution that only until 19 only it started in 1976 did it have its first did it start admitting females. And we're talking about that recent, yes, 1976 West Point County started admitting females. And yet again, given the kind of um activity that this institution supports, it's something that people of color should not be embracing or Acknowledging on in such a degree that the point where they're posing for a picture of the photo opportunity in their uniform, proud to say that they were a part of this institution. And the other particular article dealt with what is going on in Jackson, Mississippi, in terms of its mayor um, supporting the police force. Um, mayor Lumumba has expressed a strong support for heavy police and surveillance presence, and we know the number of issues that um, a high surveillance presence creates. So for this guy to say he's supposed to be leading the most radical city, that's becoming the question. What is going on in Jackson, Mississippi, for him to engage in that, which is even counterproductive to his existence? Hmm, that's interesting. Awesome, we will come back to that. What we can do right now, we let our listeners well, know that you are listening to Africa on the Moon. We dealing with a segment on what's going on in your world community. If you'd like to join us, please dial in 323-679-0841. We'll come back and discuss some of these issues further as we speak to what is going on in our world and the community. And when we come back, we'll start off with after the um, concerns that we talk about a little bit about um, what it means in terms of understanding the legacy uh, Brother Kwame Ture. We'll be right back. We're going to pause for the calls. This is Africa on the move.
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from
uh, in the diaspora while studying under Nkrumah, Kwame Nkrumah, and Ahmed Sekou And he continued that work uh, for the remainder of his life. As a matter of fact, even though he's most known in the U.S. for re-echoing the cry for black power, he spent the last 30-odd years of his life trying to build uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and struggling to achieve pan-Africanism, the total liberation unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And one of the most important lessons he left for us was the necessity of African people belonging to an organization, a political organization that is working for our people's liberation. And that lesson is still important, even more important today than when he uttered he uttered the cry for organize, organize, organize during his lifetime. And uh, and uh, and uh, the best tribute I think people can do to Honor Kwame Ture is to join a political organization that is working for people's liberation. Okay, Mr. Panelists, um, do any of y'all want to weigh in in terms of how y'all view and see the life and work of Brother Kwame Ture? Uh, Brother Haki, what's your your analysis on? The work and life of Alexa, brother Kwame Ture. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to um, piggyback on what brother Anthony is saying. I, I just go a different direction. I, I think uh, one of the things I think is important to underscore is that we we talk about liberation for African people. I think we have to understand if we're seriously about liberation for African people, then we have to understand that the question of Africa becomes indispensable. You know, without a strong and unified, socialized Africa, no African anywhere on the planet will ever be free. That's important that we understand that. And often people talk about the fact that, well, you know, when, we, when you talk about it in context of struggle, when you talk about the context in terms of access to land, those kind of things are, are readily available in Africa, which is very, very true. Uh, but the bigger uh, uh, importance, is, is it has to be that uh, the symbolism in terms of actually being free speaks values in terms of emotionally and mentally, you know, getting our people to understand their, their worth. And understanding their worth and then things like, you know, the history, uh, the struggle, all those things that we engage on on, on a daily on a daily uh, daily period, excuse me, on a daily level, uh, people begin to understand, you know, the, the, the not only necessity in terms of that, but understand the relevance in terms of that. So it does have symbolic emotional significance in terms of a free and unified and socialist uh, socialist uh, Africa. That's beyond the question in terms of the material gains for, for African and humanity as a whole. You know, once you have a fine and a, a solid, unified and free Africa, so I think that brother brother Kwame understood that. I mean, in context of struggle and being involved in different organizations, and looking at political lines and looking at political ideology, you come to a re- resolution that all the things that we do in the society, in terms of bringing about a just society, our efforts oftentimes are complicated by the fact that we talk about a system in place which is diametric opposed to our survival as African people here in North America. And so given that reality in terms of what we can do strategically, uh, what we can do ideologically, uh, becomes a big question mark. It's not to say that all the, the strategy is impossible in terms of the context of, you know, living here in North America. Of course, we can achieve with organization. 
The problem is that the, given the strategy utilized by the powers that be, it makes it fundamentally more difficult in terms of actually achieving, you know, our liberation here in North America. So the question in terms of Africa uh, uh, is, 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 is big. I mean, it's very gigantic in terms of, you know, its, its implications. So I think that Brother Kwame should be applauded for his, his, his uh, acumen, his understanding in terms of, you know, just how important Africa is to the struggle of African people throughout the world. And putting together a, 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 a ideology which, which not only talks about the importance in terms of Africa's value to the world, but understanding that without you know Africa's contribution you know to world civilization, then this this, this world simply can't simply cease to exist. So hats off to Brother Kwame and all that he stood for. Brother Moses, how would you best remember the legacy of Brother Kwame Ture? He exemplified what it meant to be a student teacher. And when I use that phrase, even though he was a man of great knowledge and shared his knowledge, he was willing to um, learn from those he interacted with as well. And such, uh, such a high level of humility is something that all of us can learn from as he led by example and understood that everybody had something to bring to the table. It wasn't a matter that you get to a point, despite the knowledge you acquired from being a worldwide scholar, but understanding that you never know when a new insight may spark an idea that you can carry out to help um, better the plight of the people. Because we have Brother Moses back. Brother Moses, your response to life and Brother Kwame Trey. Yeah. Brother Carmen Ture was a great you know, leader in the black power, black emancipation movement. Uh, certainly, you know, as Stokely Carmichael, he was showed leadership and and, uh, and with the Vietnam War and the Palestinian situation, showing that for the liberation of Palestine, and he would always be. Mm-hmm. Finally, in the eyes of the people, uh, thank you. Okay, you and Panis, for myself, though, uh, many things come to mind in terms of lessons that we can use as a to follow by as we continue to move forward towards the liberation of our people. The brother Kwame to where he left us. For time and time, it seems like we have amnesia. We have forgotten so quickly. Uh, one of the lessons I would think is the question of um, Kwame often talk about and uh, define who are Africans' enemy, who are Africans' enemy, and who is the enemy of Africa. For example, he took a very, very principal position against um, Zionism. He was anti-Zionist. He was against Zionism. And when you look at the power and the influence of Zionism today, uh, and you look at so-called African organizations and politicians, most of them tend to bow down to or support Zionism. Um, can y'all speak to what, what benefit do any African get of being a pro-Zionist? None. As a matter of fact, um, 
it um, it, it make it, it, it worsens our condition overall uh, because um, you know why the you know why the wealthy Africans get maybe get a few crumbs from the table the masses of African people suffer. Uh, let's see today. Uh, the Palestinians bear the bear the brunt of uh, Zionism's, uh, you know, uh, you know, military power. But that same, but those same forces are used against Africans in the diaspora, because uh, a lot of the capitalist countries send their police forces, particularly the U.S., to design the state of Israel for training. And what they learn against uh, uh, the repression of the Palestinians, they perpetrate on Africans in the diaspora. And Africans need to understand that. And also, a lot of our uh, political organizations are funded by Zionist forces. And that's why, and they work against our interests. And uh, they play into the hands of capitalism. Uh, so, so Zionism is one of the most vicious forms of capitalism because of its brutality and because of its use of religion to justify its aims. And speaking of that, Brother Anthony, to Brother Haki, in talking about the relationship between the very forms of systems that oppress humanity and oppressed African people, he made it clearly that all systems that exploit um, human beings are enemies to Africa, African people. Now, when we talk about systems, one of the things he often talk about is the history and historical development of cap- capitalism and imperialism and its first contact with African people made us enslave us. So he was a start anti-capitalist. He was against capitalism. But, Brother Hackey, seems like we have a long way to go to learn in terms of that direction because many and most of our people seem to be leaning or support capitalism and really don't understand it and know what it really is. Your response to that, Brother Hackey, was he correct? In yeah, I, I, capitalism is a system that dialectically opposes African people freedom and liberation. So in order for us to be free, we got to be anti-capitalist? Well, it, it goes without saying. If you understand the true tenets of capitalism, do you understand capitalism will never be in the interest of African people? But you're absolutely correct. Uh, the kind of um, enlightenment that exists as it relates to people's lack of understanding in the African community uh, toward uh, capitalism is, is 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 well known, and it's one of those struggles that we have to engage on a daily on a daily basis in terms of trying to provide clarity. Uh, when you think about capitalism, and you, and you think particularly. You know, when you look at the situation in terms of people throughout the world, not just in North America, but throughout the world generally, when you look at the kind of austere practices that are taking place where you have a situation where fewer and fewer people have access to more and more wealth and more and more people coming poorer and poorer, I mean desperately poor, the question becomes precisely what's going on. Why is this phenomenon taking place? Unfortunately, many in America never even ask themselves, why did this take place? To bring it more home, uh, one of the things, when you look in America, when you look in terms of gentrification, you ask yourself, wait a minute, what's happening here? You, African people have lived in this community you know, for, 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 for centuries, for decades, centuries. And now all of a sudden they can't afford to live in those same places. Now ask yourself the question, so precisely what's going on here? 
So the more we investigate in terms of the economic reality that we find ourselves confronted with, the more we begin to understand that this system is 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 diametrically, as you say, brother Africa, opposed to the to the to the existence or the aspirations of African people. And if we don't understand that, then we can't organize effectively in terms of creating, you know, uh, alternatives to the system that are our, in, uh, enable us to survive. Uh, one of the things, that as we increasingly go along with the system, out of love of the system because we don't understand it, when we go along with the system, that inevitably what we do, in, implicitly what we're doing, is that we participate in our own destruction, and we don't understand that. And so Brother Anthony is right. So you get a few people who uh, benefit, a few Africans who benefit from their relationship with various various individuals. Uh, and particularly, you talk about Zionism, or you talk about the capitalists. You got a few Africans. Say, for instance, you got Jay Z, who who who, who work with the national the NFL league, right? So he's a billionaire. He's making a little money. They're gonna throw him some crumbs. I mean, he's a good boy. So therefore, they're gonna throw him some crumbs. But it's not going to translate into the meaningful in terms of the mass, the, 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 the mass aspirations that African people hold. It's not going to do a damn thing in terms of strengthening or empowering the, the, the African masses in society. As a matter of fact, what it's going to do, it's going to do the exact opposite. It's going to create a situation that's much more counterproductive, much more destructive to the aspirations and desires of African people. We have to fundamentally understand this is how, how capitalism is designed to work. And one of the things when we talk about why some of our people don't understand their history, understand those capitalists understood that if African people understood their history, then it'd be harder to exploit them. By by making sure that African people don't understand the history, it makes it much easier for them to exploit us. And so therefore, we gravitate toward you know um, the, the the genius of capitalism, and we never even ask ourselves the question if if, if capitalism is, is so such a genius, such so much of a genius. Then why is it fundamentally people don't have a right have a right to jobs? Why is the people don't have a right to 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 to, to affordable housing? Why is it that people don't have a right in terms of quality education? Why do you discourage existing society if capitalism is such a great system? It seems to me that anybody who 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 stands up and says that capitalism is great is someone who a benefits directly from this insanity, or at least they think they benefit directly from this insanity, or someone who seriously doesn't understand the tenets of terms of how capitalism works. And so the extent that we continue to acquiesce and participate in this insanity under the guise that capitalism is great, then the more we serve, we do so at our own dis- uh, disadvantage. So when we look around and we see, when, then we, when, then when you see a situation in this country, conceivably when you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of people getting killed at a time, and then, then we we have to ask ourselves at that point, what the hell is going on here? Why why are people why are people killing African people? We haven't did anything to anybody. Well, it doesn't matter if you haven't did anything to anybody. The mere fact that you're here poses a problem, a fundamental problem in terms of longevity of the system. Those conditions of power, those capitalists understand. In order for them to maintain longevity, long, in order for them to maintain control, they must liquidate. They must kill large number of African people. Not only to set examples to the rest of the population, but to particularly to make sure that Africans don't get to the notion that they're going to struggle to be free. And otherwise, if you terrorize the people enough, they'll simply give up, and that's what they're hoping to achieve. We have to fight this fight, you know, uh, and, and we, we don't, we're not stupid. We understand what we're up against, but we, we, we understand because of our love of humanity, we have to fight this fight. And so it's going to be a very difficult one. And we do have those fools who are advocating capitalism, talking about how great capitalism, and then you scratch your head and ask them, do you know what capitalism is? No, I don't know what capitalism is, but you love it anyway. So you do have that. 
So it's one unfortunate marriage, uh, not marriage, but unfortunate things that exist exist in our community. But it's a struggle. But as as, as Brother Kwame would say, the struggle continues. You talk about they say they're capitalists. They say they're capitalists with no capital. Don't have no capital. Yeah. They say they're capitalists. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you for talking. Yeah, that's. I, I didn't want to talk about that, but you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but uh, you know, but these are lessons that Kwame left for us. And we say we should learn from our forefather and follow our path. Seems like we have forgotten these things real quickly. It hasn't been that long since he made, made the transition. Now, Brother Jabari, I know Kwame will often talk about back when he was a young 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 man working with SNCC and working with the Freedom Pacific Democratic Party, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker. They learned back then about the corruption of the system and the two parties. There was no fundamental difference between the Republican and Democratic Party, and they left that struggle a long time ago, saying the corruption between the two parties was the same party. Why is it today we still have people advocating and fighting and trying to drag, drag our people into a party, and mostly in terms of this case, the Democratic Party, and he will often say, how can you have a party with rich millionaires and poor people in the same party, and you talk about equality, and have the same interests? And he realized then that we needed to leave that party and be our own party. And that's one of the things Brother Anthony alluded to in his presentation earlier, that 30, over 30, 40 years of remaining commentary life, he fought to build an independent, revolutionary African political party. So, Brother Jabari, was he correct then and still correct today that the Democratic Republican Party to have the same fundamental institution? And they are against the interests of African people and their liberation. What's your perspective on that position? I stand with the same position that we have accepted as panelists on this program is that he's absolutely correct. Unlike Kanye West, who spread mass confusion by saying that people of color need to join the Republican Party, you have to understand that historically there have been a precedent set by both parties in terms of how they have forsaken what um, Africans have contributed to America, or just in the world in general. Give a perfect example. You often hear about how great the New Deal was, which was under a Democratic president, but if you do your research and find out the crumbs that Africans got, it was no real benefit to us in terms of the kind of programs that were created that helped to further white wealth. And then if you want to look at the Republican side of things, you don't have to do no further than look at what's going on today in terms of the numerous things that are done on a consistent basis to disenfranchise people of color purposely and knowingly through the power of the law. The thing that Brother Kwame um, also advocated was very important is that locally, if we really want to um, seize power, we have to be serious about what is really going on in our community because if we're not influencing it, if we're not making the key decisions, it's not our community, unfortunately. And that's what we have to get back to because he was all about grassroots organization. That's what it's going to take because those who understand what true influence is, they're not running for office, but they have the ear of those that are in office. So when you're in office, you are at the will of those that are going to give you support. But however, when you influence them, they have to come to you. You're not going to them. So that's what a true power is when you can be an influencer and not the person being influenced. Okay. And Brother Moses, he often talks about the hypocrisy of um, when you look at the system and the principle, making uh, attacking to the principle as it relates to voting, that there's an error. 
he also would talk about how today African people have more male, more elected officials inside the Democratic Party, inside the system, yet the African people are worse off today than before. He talked about that contradiction, and we can see it today. Even with these males and these governors and stuff, we have, at this point in time, more Africans being shot down by official state terrorism, by the police. We have more Africans today that was all financially than it was 30, 40 years ago. So so what is going on in terms of this dynamic of not understanding that this institutions that are created in the system are institutions that are electively opposed against our liberation and freedom? Your response to that position that Brother Jeray has taught us about the corruption within the system and why we will never gain our liberation through the process of using voting as a principle. Why wait, brother? Brother Moses, respond to that. In other panelists, brother Anthony, you can respond to that as well. Okay, uh, voting, just like any any other weapon of struggle, is a tactic, and it should be seen as a tactic. Not that then the end game is uh, political empowerment, which is what black power in essence means. It means political empowerment of the African masses, and it's a, and it's a and it's a centuries-old uh, uh, cry of the masses of African people worldwide, and it's and that's why a uh, 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 black power finds its highest political expression in Pan-Africanism, because that it is only through Pan-Africanism. That the uh, that the aspirations of the masses of African people will be realized, and that is the freedom to develop to their fullest human potential, uh, uh, you know, and the right to health care, uh, education, and um, you know, and also uh, living in harmony with nature and the environment. And it's only through Pan-Africanism that, that this can be achieved. Voting is a tactic, but the ultimate goal, which people lose sight of, is political empowerment. And as long as we depend upon the capitalist duopoly, uh, we will never achieve that because these political parties have been proven to be the enemies of humanity, all capitalist political parties. Yeah, and also, you know, one of the things, one of the things also is that you know, there's a, a corruption index. You know, so of 39 of the most developed countries in the world, the U.S. ranks number 22 in, in terms of its corruption. So when we look at politics in terms of how you know politics are financed, clearly that money is coming from wealthy individuals and you know, corporations. So the mere fact that you got wealthy individuals and in corporations financing the candidates, do you really think they're going to advocate or support anybody? Who doesn't play the game? They're not going to support anybody who actually fundamentally in opposition philosophically to the way capitalism operates. So it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. They're both. Their position both is that you know the end justifies the means. So if you play ball in terms of how the system operates, then you are sure of getting wealth, and that's what the game is all about. So Democrats are just as corrupt as Republicans. 
And furthermore, when we look in terms of propensity for war, one of the things historically the Democrats at least gave lip service to, you know, to not to not go to war. Because every time you go to war, eventually there are some gains economically initially in terms of war, but over the long term the economy suffers as a result of going to war. And so Democrats have always been a party of listen, no war. That has changed. That paradigm no longer exists. Now the Democrats and Republicans advocate war. The question is why do they do that? Simply because it's advantageous to beneficials financially, uh, they stand to benefit, you know, from advocating war. So fundamentally, we talk about the problems that are confronting African people, the injustices that confront poor people or the working people. If we seriously think a Democratic Party is going to address that, think again. Keep in mind, one of the things, even in the context of this current political campaign, one of the things that they talk about, these Democratic, so-called Democratic candidates running for president, one thing they never talk about, they never talk about poor people. They never talk about taxes in terms of accruing to the, to, to the wealthiest of us. They never talk about, you know, in terms of the, the kind of manipulation that, go, that takes place with respect to unemployment. Those things they don't touch. There are those things in part and parcel to the interests of the people in the society. So why is it these Democrats, these people of, the, of, the, of this party of the people, why is it they refuse to address those issues? Fundamentally, they understand that for them to, to address those issues is, 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 would be suicidal. And so, therefore, they don't, trust, they don't touch those issues. They go with the safe issues, those issues in which have been mandated you know, uh, you know, by society, by, particularly by the political establishment, that says okay to discuss. And so, clearly, there is no fundamental difference philosophically between Democrats and Republicans. They're, all side, they're, all, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, you know, these, are all, these are all capitalist parties, which explain why most of these politicians are extremely wealthy. And it doesn't make a difference what color your skin. Even the African, even the African, even the African uh, Democrats will only go so far in terms of policy. I do respect, I do respect AOC. I do respect her in terms of raising some issues which historically uh, the Democratic Party wouldn't touch. So when she talked about a Green New Deal, I respect that. That's something that makes the Democratic Party uncomfortable. The notion that we actually can distribute wealth in a way in which not only create a better economy, but also provide the people what they need in terms of being in a position, you know, to fulfill their aspirations, you know, as human beings. So I respect that. But that is, but but she is she is exceptional in terms of in that regard. The Democratic Party is no different than the Republican Party, and we have to understand that. So if you think for one second you're going to vote for these people and there's some that's going to resolve the issues that humanity is confronting with, particularly the African people, then think again. And also one other one other final thing. Also, in terms of voting, keep in mind that we talk about in terms of how corrupted the process is. One of the things we talk about gerrymandering, and we talk about situations where they actually remove people from the voting rolls. They do all of this legally. Now, the question is that if they really value voting, then you really think you would, you would, you would create a scenario in which conceivably you know, hundreds, millions of people cannot vote? It's not that they're ineligible. It's simply that you don't want them to vote simply because you want to maintain the status quo. And so, therefore, in that context, and that in line with the fact that we're talking about, uh, when you talk about um, not when you talk about not a popular vote, when you talk about electoral college and voting who becomes president of the United States, then what does it truly mean to vote? It means absolutely nothing. And this is why you have to have your own independent stuff. You have to organize independently. You have to create those institutions. You have to do it on your own. If you're waiting for the government to resolve the problems that we have faced, then think again. So as a, you know, as a consequence of that mentality, and I'm close with this, as a consequence of that mentality, when we look at the term situation in, 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 um, in Detroit, in Flint, Michigan, in Flint, Michigan, in terms of the water, 
Now we go up, up north and we go to, to, to Newark and we look at the terms of the water quality there. And we look at the other places around the country and see the same problems keep popping up. What interest does the government have in terms of making sure people have access to even clean water? They don't. So we have a fundamental problem. So philosophically, we must do for self. It's that simple. You know, panelists, there are so many lessons we can learn from Brother Kwame Ture, and we sort of um, just just did with a tip of the iceberg. What we're going to do right now, we're going to um, pause for the cause, take a station break, and when we come back, I'd like to just continue the discussion a little bit more because these are lessons that are directly having a profound impact on our people globally. And we need to remind ourselves that, uh, you know, these are lessons that we can learn from history, and we don't have to repeat the same mistakes again. So we're going to continue the discussion. We're going to pause for this cause. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. If you have any views or comments, you can feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move.
You know, Brother Jabari and then I said, Haki and Moses, y'all can chat in on this issue. Brother Kwame always talk about this whole question of um, this question of that African people have one of the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world at leadership. Corruption everywhere. Instead of serving the people, people take the position to serve themselves. Have you found this still exists today, this particular um, narrative? Brother Zabari, Moses, and Hakeem? You know, um, I can attest to what was conveyed by Brother Touré in terms of my collegiate experience. While I went to a school that was very diverse in terms of its makeup, when I did have interaction with some African students, there was a certain elite, a false sense of elitism that they felt they had to have. And at that particular time, it kind of bothered me that considering we should all be on the same page being fellow Africans, me being diasporic, them being continental. But what I come to find out is that there's certain values that are instilled in them where they might see themselves as better or they're told that they have to approach the mentality of, no, we don't work together to work to be better than the next person. So you got to understand that these ideas that are ingrained and taught to people, a lot of times we carry that on because there's this mantra that people use where, if I got it, you can get it too. It's not about me helping you out. You can get it on your own like I got on my own. I'm self-made. No one is self-made. Somewhere I had to help you along the way to get to where you are in order for you to progress. So until we get get away from this false notion of individualism, there's going to be this kind of tribalistic aspect that's going to be in place. Well, Moses, yeah. your response. Your response to this whole question of corruption among African people and, you know, this whole question. Matter of fact, you know, recently there was in the paper of a male, the male of Richmond, Virginia. He recently took a trip where he spent $1,000 a night in a hotel room on a trip. Now, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, is that, should that be some kind of crime and misdemeanor or treason or something to spend the public money, the people money. Why was it important for him to get a hotel room cost a thousand dollars a night? What was, how was that serving the people? But this question of the bourgeoisie and their corruption and their dishonesty among African people. Does that still exist today in your eyes? Well I think because the African people uh people of color generally speaking have a lot of compassion within them. Uh, poor people in general, you know, um, are practicing communal and socialist type uh, relationships with with their friends and family, and uh, and and it made it it covers up the viciousness of this capitalist system somewhat, uh, uh, and uh, so the the. The black bourgeoisie uh, tends to get in get into office, uh, and uh, selfishness comes out. Uh, uh, I think you know. I think it's I think it's related to the fact that we're such a compassionate people. I, I think you know, uh, a compassion and empathy. Runs 
deep in the community, and uh, it's, it's just the leadership power corrupts, and, and uh, the leadership is, is, is corruptible. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think you know one thing is we have to make a distinction between uh, education and indoctrination. Uh, education. Uh, in the Western world, uh, not just the Western world, but throughout the world generally, is designed to indoctrinate. And because it's designed to indoctrinate, it's designed to essentially uh, deceive you in terms of your perception of how the world actually works. I think one of the things, when you, when, you, when you look at in terms of level of oppression African people are confronted with in society, one of the things I think psychologically there is this yearning in terms of escape. And so if you got a little education and you got a job making a little money or you got a job with a little status, then the the propensity is to actually go along with it because in your mind it's much easier for you to believe that you have arrived, that you made it. And so therefore you legitimize that system, you think the system is the greatest in the world, and you and people who haven't received achieved that, that kind of status or that kind of notoriety, those people are perceived as somehow uh lacking on some level. And so in that context, then in terms of how the system operates, how it impacts on the way we think, is totally dis, is dismissed. And so therefore, those people, those bourgeois African individuals in positions of power, uh, whose position is that um, you know any problems that African people have is self-inflicted, it's easier for them to believe that because in believing that, you don't have to critique the system. You don't have to look at it in terms of how the system impact on people. You don't have to look at the reality in terms of socioeconomically. When you look at in terms of all the socioeconomic economic indicators, African people at the bottom. And that's despite the fact African people may be the most, most even even highly educated. So clearly I think that it, to a large extent we, we, we're talking about a, a kind of a, um, a psychological, psychological malaise that exists in the minds of a lot of African people. In other words, this kind of sense of inferiority that, that exists in our people manifests itself in terms of how African people who have wealth, who have positions of power, perceive Africans who don't have wealth or who are in positions of power. So I think this kind of slave mentality, so I think it's kind of a, it's, 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 I think it's a psychologically, I think for these people, I think it's just a way in terms of uh, compensating. As opposed to saying, you know, uh, listen, the system exists, it, it does this, it's, it's very negative toward the, toward the mindset of African people. As opposed to seeing that, it's easy to say, well, listen, there's nothing wrong with the system. The system is fine. The problem, you know, remains or, or germinates with these people who 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 haven't who lack drive and initiative. So I think it's a I think it's a, I think so psychologically we have to understand and think the kind of damage that imperialism capitalism has done to the minds of African people. And so when they do that kind of thing, when that kind of selfishness you talk about brother Africa, when it manifests itself, it's just an expression of the kind of self hatred that exists in the mind of African people. Because after all, if you think about it, if you're in a position to actually do something in terms of conditions of African people, then why not then why not do that? You're in a position to do that. They don't. Which means that what in terms of achieving the accolades of the system it's more important for them than the aspirations of the people simply because in receiving those accolades from the system, it makes them feel better about who they are. They can escape the reality that they're an oppressed people, and they can believe that, in fact, everything is free because they're making a little money, they have a little status. So I think this is part and parcel in terms of the, the kind of mindset that's sort of inculcated in the minds of African people, particularly, you know, when, when you're educating the system, which tells you that this is the greatest system in the world. 
And if you don't have the tools to critique the system, then you tend to believe, in fact, what you're told. And if you believe what you're told, then it's only natural that everything you do is all about self. And the kind of individualism that's so rampant among the, the, the African petty bourgeoisie, both in America and throughout the world, I think that kind of mentality would continue to persist. Could I add something, Brother Africa? Yes, you can. The mic is yours. Yeah, sure, to the, to the points that uh, Jabari and, and Haki made especially. Bear in mind that in a lot of in – in the U.S. and in a lot of countries on the continent, the uh, educational system is controlled by capitalist forces, and they inculcate uh, – you know, uh, uh, you know, bourgeois ideas in the uh, in, into the students. So the farther a student advances in the educational system in a lot of these countries, the more they become inculcated with um, capitalist ideas, particularly the ideas of individualism. And I want to add that um, that studying in the U.S. is very expensive. So generally, the students that come from outside the U.S. to study, uh, particularly a lot of Africans from the continent, they come from the wealthiest families of their respective countries, for the most part, and um, and uh, they and they advanced pretty uh, well in the educational system in their respective countries. So when they come to the U.S they are already inculcated with a lot of bourgeois ideas, unfortunately. And that's why they tend to be they tend to be elitist and aloof a lot of times. Not all of them, but some of them especially. But that's a consequence of the fact that in a lot of countries the educational system is in the control is controlled by the same class that controls the educational system inside the US. And uh, the more the more you advance in that system, the more you become filled with bourgeois ideas, unless you have uh, an opposing ideology that counters that. And most Africans don't, which is why the more educated Africans become, the more arrogant they tend to be, because the educational system en- encourages that kind of arrogance. You know, it's interesting you say that, you know, because there's, there's one group of uh, individuals out of West Africa. I'm not going to call which country, but I know you guys will figure it out. But I'm going to tell you something. I never ran into any, brother, any brothers and sisters who are uh, so, um, uh, um, so in, in, in enthralled with this, 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 this petty bourgeois mentality in this particular group. There's a particular tribe in this West African state. I'm telling you, I, I've never seen anything like it. Every individual I've ever interacted with from this particular country, from this particular tribe, all uh, uh, all uh, demonstrate this this kind of uh, aloofness, this kind of petty bourgeois mentality, this notion that you know it's all about what you have, you know, you know that status is more important than anything at all, uh, you know. So, brother, brother, the right. I mean, clearly they come from an educational system which sort of reinforces that kind of thing, and so the struggle for our people is not a, is not an easy one. I mean, we have to contend with that kind of mentality that exists, you know, among our, our brothers and sisters throughout the world. But this particular country out of West Africa, I'm telling you, they they are notorious in terms of that kind of mindset. 
And I, you know, I'm numerous. I had numerous discussions with them, and uh, you know, I'd be tempted to say, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be damn kidding me. You can't be that damn stupid in terms of this narrow, this myopic view of the world that you espouse. But I, I don't do that, you know. Out of out of out of, out of some unity, you know, I, I shut my mouth. They say some ridiculous stuff. I shut my mouth. I don't say anything. I said, well, now's not the time to, to confront these people in terms of this this, idiot, this idiocy that they that they articulate. But clearly, uh, the education system has a big role in terms of that. And it comes directly from an understanding these same individuals have no history, no understanding of their own history. Zero understanding of their own history. You know, aside from their language, they have no understanding of their own history, but they're well-versed in Western history. So clearly, you know, uh, it is a problem, but nonetheless, you know, you're going to run into that from time to time, in particular from this particular West African state and this particular tribe in this West African state. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, panelists, one of the things I think Brother Ture and I and give credit to his organization, the APRP, in terms of one of the battles where they had a real profound impact on our people was around the issue of the identity question. You know, they, they uh, made it become more acceptable and popular and understood the necessity for identity to recognize that we are all African people, period. You know, such as an African-American, an African, this and that. You are African, period. They put Africa and Africans back in the minds and hearts of our people. And even today, we can see where the enemy is trying to undo that. So in terms of this discussion, in terms of his legacy, what can we do to maintain that our people don't go backwards and start going back to other veins and identities that do not come up to realities of who and what they really are. We are African people. Why is this identity question so crucial? I think, Brother Hackey, earlier when you talk about what's going on in your world and how they're dealing with students and youth, it ties directly into that issue. So talk about the importance and respect that we must give the role and the battle that Brother Teray has fought for it, to give us the proper identity and make us to realize not only we are Africans, but we should be proud to be Africans. This is open to the panelists. And what we'd like to talk about the importance of identity and the contribution of Brother Teray and the AAP, AAPIP has made in that arena. Actually, well, prior, well, what happened uh, historically, especially during the 19th and early 20th century, African culture and African images were taking a beating worldwide. And uh, along with um, along with uh, Pan Africanists such as uh, W. B. Du Bois and Marcus Garvey and others, uh, Kwame Ture continued that legacy of emphasizing the positiveness of that uh, of African culture and African identity. And uh, the reason why it's important that we understand that we're African is because Africa is only just homeland. And you see, if we don't realize we're African, then we don't realize Africa is home for us. And uh, that's the importance of identity. And also that there is, and that also uh, we we contributed to uh, to human uh, to world civilization and human culture. And Africa has its own culture and its own values, and those values are, are, are equal to anybody else's culture. And that's important to understanding our humanity. 
and that is why it's important that 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 we don't uh, repeat the mistakes that we that we did uh, earlier in our history as regards to the identity question. We won't repeat this, but we can repeat mistakes. And and the thing about the understanding we're African is essential to us becoming better organized as a people. You know, let me let me just raise this with you in the context of the discussion with rest of families. You know, right now the Europeans are writing history books again, where they again is taking Africa out of the history book. If they do that, how do we maintain our identity? How do we fight that? Well, you know, you, you, it's a very good point, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, um, there was a, a young lady named Mary Lefowitz, and uh, she, she published a book called Not Out of Africa. It was in a direct response to all the information in terms of the origin of human beings. And what she attempted to do, rather clumsily, but what she attempted to do was muddy the waters and make people think that this question in terms of the origin of, of, of humanity out of Africa, you know, um, where it may have some legitimacy, is not the total picture. And so, what she so essentially what she tried to do is she couldn't just she couldn't dispel the the the, the science behind the the origin of human beings, but she could at least muddy the waters. And so, therefore, to the extent that she could appease racist mentalities who want to believe that we're not all one humanity, that the human that the, the the evolution of human beings, you know, comes out of Africa. And so, muddying the water makes it difficult for racists. Uh, or makes it easier for racists to to you know to 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 justify in their minds that perhaps you know that uh, my origin doesn't go back to Africa. So clearly we have those kind of those kind of things going on, and of course that's all by design. And one of the reasons why we talk about these wars in the Middle East and uh, North Africa, one of the things that is important we understand is one of the things that the the ruling class is being very keen on it was destruction of you know African antiques and relics. And so, therefore, destroying those, those, those antique relics it makes it more difficult in terms of corroborating that history. Because when you got the antique relics to, to corroborate the history, it's much easier for people to, to, to swallow. It's become much more palatable. Without the antiques and the relics, it becomes more difficult because it simply becomes a written word. And so, therefore, it's easy to deceive people in terms of using write, you know, written words as opposed to you know, definitive proof in terms of relic and, 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 and things that, and artifacts. To prove your point, so clearly, uh, yes, uh, Africa is is under attack, and it's for the reason that you that you articulated, Brother Africa, precisely. If in fact we fail to see us see ourselves as one people, then that's precisely what they want. In fact, one of the reasons why they created those arbitrary lines in terms of you know uh, states in Africa was to pit people against one another, and so therefore you have people. Someone, I'm an English speaker, I'm a French speaker, you know, and, and this kind of I mean, you know this kind of thing happening in the continent. Was to pit people against one another, which is precisely what they want to, to solidify their control. They keep African people fighting each other, and it's not unusual to hear Africans say um, uh, to um, the Africans in different parts of the world, "You're not African," and 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 and, and really believe that. And the question is that you know, which is so ironic because the thing is that even if you thought that a person of African descent from different parts of the world wasn't African. Uh, the bottom line is that if you bring them to Africa and you drop them off in Africa, nobody would know the difference. So clearly there is there is some relationship in terms of that African, you know, from a different part of the world, you know, and that African on the continent. And it, is, it seems to me that it's, 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 very, it's, it's very simplistic, it's very easy to understand. But nonetheless, given the kind of slave mentality that exists in so many of our people, 
it's not unusual that you hear people say, well, you know, that they'll try to create division among African people by saying, by proclaiming you're not African. So clearly, you know, we have to understand who we are, and in in, in particular so because that's the thing's point that you raised in terms of, you know, this propensity in terms of the West to write books now, just simply, again, to rewrite Africa out of the history books. Remember, back in the 17th century, they wrote Africa out of the history books. Now they're starting phase two of rewriting Africa out of the history books again. So clearly, we know we we, we have to have we, we need we we need we need uh, you know Af- we need scholars, we need people you know uh, who who are committed to the discipline of history, writing that history, and more importantly, we have to teach that history to our children, in hopes that our children will carry on the legacy in terms of if they don't write about the history, at least they know the history, from an oral perspective. So I I, I think that uh, you know to answer your question, brother Africa, I I, I think that is very very important. You know, it's very, very important that we understand that we are under, under attack and understand the reason why we're under attack. And understanding why we're under attack, hopefully, it will compel people to understand the, the necessity in terms of understanding the history, reading the history, and embracing that history. And panelists, Jabari, Moses, if you can take the lead, I'd like to hear your response. And the last thing, maybe we talk about a Kwame Tree being a pointer, directing our people down the road where they should travel. Clearly, he talked about the need for Pan-Africanism and socialism. Can y'all speak to those two issues as it relates to the well-being of our people? Most of our people know nothing about Pan-Africanism, but they hate it. And they definitely see socialism as the enemy to them. Um, y'all response to Bobby and Brother Moses. Well... You have to understand that that from time to time, even in some of the Western societies that are so pro-capitalism, there has been increased socialist sentiment. Let me preface my comment when you look at the period of the Great Depression. Earlier I mentioned about how, by and large, Africans did not benefit from the New Deal. Another reason the New Deal was put into place politically, what people may not realize, is that there was an increase in socialist sentiment in the United States. Mm-hmm. And there was a fear that the, even the government, you could see a number of socialist politicians that would come to power that would change the paradigm. So what Roosevelt did as a savvy political maneuver, he did what you can often do to white liberals, unfortunately, and we see it today, even with some of the most well-known white liberals. There were a secret meeting and basically said that you need to stop the rhetoric, stop the nonsense. I will give you some funding for some of the things you're trying to advocate, but I need your political support. And because of that, they were able to get an increased number of white votes that they might not have previously had because they were bought out. So you got to understand that because of the propaganda machine at play, a lot of times it's a matter of these kind of collusions occurring on a big basis in terms of people being brought out or being bombarded by propaganda utilized in every form of the media possible. And as we talk about being in technology age, it's only going to increase. Because that's what happens, whether it's print, whether it's viral, whether it's through the music, they're going to use every mechanism they have to um, continue business as usual. Your response, any Brother Moses? Wait for Brother Moses. Yeah. Um, to, uh, um, it's good, Brother Moses. Yes. 
Um, you got me at a disadvantage here tonight. I'm I'm kind of tired. Uh, it's been a long week. I'm trying to stay focused. Uh, sorry about that. No problem, brother. It's like that sometimes, you know. We fight capitalism, and we have to fight many battles, and it's a long journey. But um, we're going to be all right. Just hang on in there with us. Tell listen to the audience. You listen to Africa on the Move. Uh, for those who listen in, if you have any views or comment, please hit one. When you hit one, we will acknowledge your last three numbers. Please hit one. The number is 323-679-0841. Again, if you have any views or comment, please uh, when we're talking about the life and legacy right now, uh, Brother Kwame Ture. Um And Brother Anthony, if if we can, and Brother Haki, when we talk about Brother Kwame Ture, we must talk about the issue of the importance for our people to learn the difference between reform versus revolution. Most of our people don't understand there's a fundamental difference between reform and revolution. Brother Ture will often say reform will not solve our problems. We need a revolution. We need a total transformation of the principles and values of, of this society. Um, talk a little bit about the importance of understanding the need for a African revolution versus reform. Brother Anthony and Brother Haki. Certainly. Uh, reform is a method of, of uh, preservation of the current system. The current system, which is capitalism, has done nothing but harm to African people since it developed from uh, uh, chattel slavery. And uh, so uh, so really, uh, that can definitely not be the solution to our problems. A, transfer, a revolution is a transformation of the, of the philosophical principles of society. To a, to uh, to its opposite, uh, with, and uh, one of Kwame's many lessons was that there there are two economic systems in the world: capitalism and socialism. And uh, so, uh, and uh, and uh, capitalism has caused the mess that Africans are in today. So that cannot be the solution to our problem. We must fight for scientific socialism and that is the only way that can bring about the liberation of uh, Africa and uh, we must build um, you know organizations that can fight for pan-Africanism and the unification of Africa and uh, uh, only a socialism can, can ensure that Africans can develop to their fullest human potential. Yeah, well, I think, you know, revolution is uh, tr- transformational. Uh, I think when we talk about the importance of revolution versus reform is that, you know, uh, you know, not only does it transform, but it makes um, a, 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 a makes it possible for a different, a new, a, a new and different paradigm. Uh, and which which we need, of course. Uh, one of the things in terms of growing the society, in terms of we tend to um, equate uh, the the trappings of the, of the society is is, is the, the epitome of, of what it is to be, you know, uh, successful. Uh, we tend to think that only when we, when it comes in terms of you know in, in academic enlightenment, 
we tend to think that some people are more suited for academic enlightenment than other people. So clearly those kind of things can, you know, simply can't be reformed away. There has, we have to literally, uh, it has to be transmission, transformational in terms of bringing about a new, a new mindset, a new way of seeing things. And that particularly has to be inculcated in our children. They got, our children should grow up. Not thinking in terms of in terms of you know color defining them in terms of the, in terms of what they can or can't do. Our, pe- our children must grow up understanding you know that in terms of historical greatness in terms of contribution to society and to civilization, African people have been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years even before there was even a Europe. African people contribute greatly to civilization, and so therefore our children should grow up under- fundamentally understanding that. And so, but that takes transformation. The problem is that we got a lot of adults in the African community. Who are sort of um, uh, saturated with this, this 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 inferiority complex, and so therefore they're hesitant, or maybe resistant, or maybe unconscious, in terms of proliferating you know certain ideas which are kind of intuitive or not the interest of the of our of our of our children. So clearly, you know, we need something that's trans transformational. Uh, uh, so in it, we're going to solve our problems. If we think that reform is going to solve our problems, and think again, as you alluded to before, when we talk about all these black or African representatives in positions of power, you know, in, in you know, state offices, um, city, city offices, or even on the federal level, the reality is that in terms of, you know, tangible results, in terms of anything meaningful to the African masses, zero, nothing. So we play that game in terms of reform in which we say that, well, you know what, we get the education, we infiltrate these, 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 these systems of power, and we change from within. Well, you know what, we got within, and you know what? We we didn't change a damn thing. As a matter of fact, we acquiesced. We participated. Huh? I said it changed us. But go ahead, brother Aki. Yeah, we and so we 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 participated in terms of the the the, the tenets of that system, even though those ideas of that system were were, were uh, in opposition to the interests and well-being of African people, of their own people. So, so clearly, whatever we have to do it has to be trans- transformational, and it can't be reformed. And, uh, but, you know, it starts with institutions. With the institutions, all things are possible. We can change the way we think. We can change the conditions that our kids grow up under. We can even work together in terms of creating neighborhoods in terms of self-sustaining neighborhoods. It's, anything we can do, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless. It's simply a question in terms of understanding why there's a necessity, there, why there's a need to get certain things done. As of yet, the struggle continues in terms of trying to get most of our people to conclude that, uh, you know, that our, our longevity in society hinges on our ability to work together to get things done. Until we get, until we can do that, the, the struggle continues. So it's, it's a long struggle, Brother Africa, and but nonetheless, you know, whatever we do it has to be transformational. Okay, what we're going to do right now, panelists and listening audience, we're going to end the segment of our tribute to Brother Kwame Ture and lessons we can learn from him by listening to him in terms of his response to some of the issues that were raised earlier. We're going to do that, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion as we want to discuss a little bit about Brother Anthony raised the issue of the importance of this Pan-African Conference took place in Venezuela. Brother Haki raised a very important issue of how they are dealing with our youth inside the classrooms and what that really means. And we want to talk about the West Point position that Brother Zabari earlier raised and with Brother Moses' position on this upcoming so-called trial of impeachment against the Trump man. 
We will talk about those issues when we come back. But right now, we're going to end our segment on our tribute to Brother Teray with this right here. You're one black man who went to a good, essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto. And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon. You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That is correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? Well, I think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. Well, that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives. And people talk about we are savages. Mr. Carmichael, if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired, say to him, understand me, white man, what would you say? I would say, understand yourself, white man, that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa, but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself. You have moved to destroy and disrupt. You have taken people away. You have broken down their systems. And you have called all that civilization. And we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, you are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been un. Civilized. Civilize yourself. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. Those are the words coming directly from Brother Kwame Ture. And there are lessons in his legacy should be learned, understood, and practiced. So we'll continue to move along down the line in terms of what's going on in our world and community. This program theme for today 
is part one and part two segment of uh, reading you can learn. This is part one. Right now, earlier, Brother Anthony, you raised the issue of there are so many things going on around the world, and if we look at the uh, imperialist press, they will never give you information that's relevant to the well-being of the oppressed people. You talk a little bit about there's a conference that took place in Venezuela dealing with um, an African conference calling for African people and organizations to come together. Can you talk just a little bit about what is the significant or the purpose of such a conference in Venezuela? I think the significance of this conference taking place in Venezuela is that it shows signs that Africans in the diaspora are starting to assert their African identity more. And um, and uh, this is significant in, in the fact that in a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, the African presence was denied or diminished. And um, let's see, and... Um, uh, let's see, and uh, and uh, U- European values were emphasized, and it's more pro- and it and it was and it's more pronounced in some parts of the diaspora than in others, but even uh, in places where there's a heavy presence of Africans, the African presence and role in history was denied. So you so the significance of this conference, you have Africans asserting themselves. And finding ways of coming together, which uh, which is one of the lessons that uh, that 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 Kwame Ture emphasized that we have to come together as one. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, that is the purpose of this conference to try to find common ground, trying to find ways we which we can work together in spite of our differences and uh, geographical separation. And that is very important, particularly to um, have that kind of understanding of what is going on around the world as it relates to African people. Because many times African people in their isolated communities, they are isolated from the rest of the world, and they only can see as far as when the context of their communities. They think that, you know, this is the world. So that is very important. Brother Haki, I'd like for you to elaborate a little bit more. We'd like to have some discussion on... You alluded earlier in your in one of your presentations on the impact of child schools and the things that are going on as it relates to African children. It seemed clearly to me that we are not looking at children as being children when it comes to African people. Because not only child schools, but I think throughout the public schools, the attitude that you display on terms of how they deal with our, our children, in terms of locking them up at first, second, third grade. Tell them they can't wear braids. Everything that typifies their Africanness, they are making sure that they can they, they should not recognize on it. Now, I'm wondering in terms of when you raise knowledges, they are doing this in front of our so-called educators, our so-called psychologists, our so-called sociologists, our so-called counselors. How do they get away treating African children like that? we have so-called educators in these same buildings and a part of this process? Well, in a nutshell, Brother Africa, it's all about, it's all about, the, it's all about the status. It's all about the paycheck, and that's the bottom line, sadly but true. 
I think, you know, it, it, it troubles me to no end that you had so many African teachers, you know, where increasingly they're becoming more white. But it, as it currently stands, you've got lots of African teachers, you know, who are privy to this kind of thing going on, who who, who refuses to, to say anything in terms of the, um, the, um, the, the, the suspicious nature of what is taking place with respect to how our children are treated. But more importantly, though, Brother Africa, I think one of the things, you know, like when the educators talk about the uh, uh, um, obedience training, uh, I think it's interesting because this is zero uh, excuse policy in terms of, you know, remedying, you know, uh, children's behavior. I mean, it's something that certainly you wouldn't do in white schools. And one of the things when you talk about children, one of the things that children have to do, you have to let them the opportunity to make mistakes. That's their children. That's how they learn. But what you don't do is you don't castigate, you don't criticize, you don't put them down in terms of, uh, you know, uh, demonstrating a behavior which is consistent with their age. So clearly this kind of um, this kind of um, ritual, this kind of negative behavior toward African children is much is indicative of something much broader in terms of what's going on in society. And I'm very concerned in terms of one of the things when we talk about, you know, being indoctrinated in society – we got adults in the African society who are with with we know with master degree BS's, BAs, masters, PhDs, post PhD degrees, who have no no fundamental understanding in terms of how the society is organized. That's because they're being indoctrinated and not educated. Now, what they're doing now to our children is they're doubling down on that whole indoctrination process. Not only our kids are not going to be privy to certain information in terms of the educational process, they're going to be discouraged from expressing even expressing you know, anything that they, that, that is quote-unquote perceived outside the uh, Western um, precept. So clearly, we, you know, we we got some problems. And it does trouble me that African teachers are not in the forefront in terms of, wait a minute, I see this stuff going on firsthand. You know, I'm going to move the organize that, you know, we got we to gotta put a stop to this. That's not happening. Now, I understand that you want your job. I understand that. But the point is that, you know, surreptitiously, there's nothing wrong in terms of behind the scenes going in the community, organizing folks around these issues, and let, let other folks do the actual work in terms of bringing the fight to the school in which you you maintain your your, your, your uh, anonymity. You know what I mean? So there's nothing wrong in terms of keeping your job. But the mere fact that you don't take a stand, that you see the stuff persist, and you do nothing about it, it troubles me. To what extent are you compensating? To what extent do you really feel that you know, that job defines you as a human being and that to lose that job is, 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 is equivalent to maybe, you know, uh, 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 being a zero. Do you honestly believe or do you really believe that as a human being that you are zero? That is some kind of social construct in which, you know, we got to re- we got to reject. We got to say that we are someone, and, and, and even if you lose a job as a teacher, it doesn't mean that your, 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 your life or who you are is any less, you know, diminished. So we, it's a struggle, but we have to do that. So I am troubled by this, Brother African, and it's happening, you're right. It's not just in charter schools. It's throughout the public schools, where they're phasing out the public schools. But the charter schools are going to be the future of this country. And so clearly, you know, we got that work cut out for us. If we're concerned about the aspirations of our children, and, you know, one thing also, Brother I may add, when we talk about intelligence level, African children are very extremely intelligent. In fact, they did numerous studies that talk about the intelligence between African children and, and, and white children. African children are twice as intelligent as white kids, up until the age of 12, in age of 12, intelligence goes downhill. So what's happening? In terms of the institutions, in terms of the, 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 the educational process, in terms of television, the media, all that stuff at the point of, by, that, by age 12 begin to have a negative impact on the self-esteem of African children. 
we in African community do nothing in terms of protecting our children from those forces. So un- until we do, then our kids continue to be at, at the mercy of a system which affects us not only materially but psychologically. So we have our work cut out for us. And this notion that African kids are incapable of learning has been debunked over and over again. But to, to the extent that the system is having a very negative impact on the psychic of our children, it's very self-evident. So we as a people, or at least we're conscious, and we say that we care about our children, then we must create institutions to protect our children. But it starts with discussion. And without some kind of discourse around this question, there's no way possible to get together to create the kind of institutions we need to protect our children from a psychological onslaught. Rest of panelists, y'all like we in on this? I want to, could I add something to that? Um, I think what is going on in the charter and public schools is a response to the fact that uh, that Africans are gradually becoming aware of their cultural identity and are expressing their identity. That uh, you know that identity more and more, which is troubling, uh, you know, to some sectors of the ruling class. The fact that Africans are uh, are wearing African hairstyles more and more, more and more Africans are are, are wearing cornrows, cornrows or bread braids or locks, and uh, and that's troubling. Even even though you know, even though it's a minimal cultural expression, that expression is troubling to some to, to some members, uh, uh, you know, of the ruling class of society, and uh, and uh, the the uh, the you know the sort of discipline, the attack on cultural values is another aspect of the cultural war against Africans being waged by the um, you know capitalist uh, ruling class. Jabari Moses' response. I found it real troubling in terms of how they can take schools and turn them into um, little prison gates. And I said prison gates or prisons because now when you look at even brand new schools, the physical resemblance is very similar to a prison. They have numbers on different on different segments of the sections of the school, like in the cell block. Many new schools are intentionally built without witness, where you don't have, they like to come in, and we don't like, like, it's very healthy. You have mm-hmm. this whole procedure now that children no longer go to cafeterias. They have little guys come around, knock on the door, and they go and march them to the cafeteria. They come back and eat in that room. It's all prison-like behavior. And this is not healthy, and they're doing this right in front of our eyes. And no one is saying anything. And why would you have the first thing at an elementary school in the morning, you have police cars out in front of the school? This is on elementary, elementary schools. This is the scenery. Is this a school? Is this a school fit for young children to learn and develop? What is the psychological impact are they sending to our children, panelists? Talk to me. It's a form of police terrorism, I think. Um, 
and also a sign of fascism. I mean, uh, you know, they're more, uh, you know, more restrictive. I mean, the type of discipline that's meted out. I mean, and also the fact that, that you know, the heavy the emphasis on security, which has been intensifying uh, since uh, September 11th, 2001. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, the fact that a lot of um, a lot of children's parents are so preoccupied uh, with their jobs, trying to put food on the table and whatnot and, and make sure that there's housing that they don't have time to pay attention to what is going on in the school system. And I think, and, uh, and, and this is a major problem. Uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, that our people are so preoccupied, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, making ends meet that they don't have time to, to watch what goes on in the school. I mean, how many parents are even aware that 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 these sorts of things are taking place that you described, Brother Africa, and um, you know this is not quite a new phenomenon. I've noticed, like in New York City in particular, the way the schools are designed. To me, a lot of the schools in New York look like prisons. You know, to me, but uh, you know, just the way they're designed. You know, fences, bars on the windows. You know, and. Uh, you know, and and, and, and and that sort of thing. And the color tone inside the schools. They are not color tones that will make your mind stimulated. They those dull, dangerous colors that you see in prisons. And all this stuff is not a mistake. It's intentional. But the opinion point continue point, Brother Anthony. Yeah, well you know what well I think the conditions are being created uh to intensify that school to prison pipeline. And I think that's what's happening. You know, uh, uh, you know, the children are being conditioned to being in a in, being in a confined setting, and uh, and uh, and 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 that should sound off alarm bells for you know, in parents about you know the conditions that the, the children are being subject to, and it speaks to the importance that we have to get organized so that we can provide alternatives or supplements to the education that that uh, that that the children are getting in the school system but this is this is happening because we are disorganized and the enemies of our people can do do, do to what what to our youth whatever they want and brother Hackey, earlier um you spoke on the issue of how they fired the sister from Zimbabwe from a position at the AU, African Union, and she also raised the issue about you raised the issue about how fourteen trillion dollars coming from West African countries going to uh, what country was it? Italy or uh, France? France. France. Going to France. This is yeah, this epitomizes this whole concept. Uh, African people are not poor, but we poorly organized neocolonialism. Because we know even today, if African countries and West African countries control their own currency, France will be bankrupt overnight. So how do we get these so-called uh, 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 corrupt governments and politicians to realize that fundamentally 
this is their money and should no currency be controlled by a foreign country. It's just another way of enslavement. Yeah, well, actually, Brother Africa, it was it was seventy trillion dollars, and that money came from fourteen Western and Central African French-speaking mm-hmm. nations. So the thing is that the question you ask is, you know, how do you how do how do you get these corrupt leaders to recognize, you know, the folly of what they're doing? It's a very difficult thing to do. To give you an example, Brother Africa, uh, you know, uh, the president of France, Macron, uh, he went to Burkina Faso a year back, and he went to the university. And some of the students stood up. They were concerned about terms of immigration to France and the fact that uh, the French have been adamant that they want to reduce immigration, you know, from Africa, from Western Central Africa into France. And it raised the question, listen, that, you know, listen, you take our resources, but then you have the audacity to tell us that we can't go there to study? Uh, how, is, how is that justified and right? Well, his position is that, uh, listen, you know, the problem is, that the, the problem is, is, is fundamental. Macron's position was the problem is that given the level of corruption in 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 in, in Africa, uh, if you want to if you want to scapegoat somebody, scapegoat your leaders because they're essentially corrupt, and so therefore, you know, um, you know, us refusing refusing interest into France doesn't doesn't justify the kind of corruption that goes in your society. So if you want to get your society um, in, in shape where you don't have to have immigration, then I suggest that you deal with corruption. That was a very interesting thing. So in other words, what he was doing, he was saying neoliberalism or neocolonialism wasn't an issue in terms of the underdevelopment or or the the poverty of Africa, particularly West African and Central African states. But the problem was one of corruption. It's ironic that the same individual uh, that he used to get rid of the um, uh, uh, African Union ambassador, that same individual position also is that the problem with Africa is one of corruption. He also... this doesn't refuses to he, he dismisses this notion in terms of neocolonialism um, in terms of being a problem you know for Africa, and so we have this fundamental you know um, uh, situation where the, you where the, the the states are being systematically robbed of their funds. These funds are finding their way into the foreign ministry, uh, economic foreign ministry of France. Clearly, it's not that they don't understand what's happening about Africa. They understand clearly. Keep in mind that these corrupt leaders on the continent who engage in these kind of practices are well compensated. And so for them, again, it goes back to the question in terms of education. If your position is that how you're defined is based upon material possessions, then for those African leaders, as long as they get a piece of the pie, get some of the crumbs, then they don't have a problem in terms of allowing their countries to be raped by France or any other Western nation for that matter, simply because they get money in their pocket, and so in their mind, they're somebody. And so when you look at the, the, the masses of suffering and the poverty that exists in society, they can simply dismiss it as somehow, you know, people simply, you know, the African masses simply lacking motivation. And so, therefore, that's why the poverty and the suffering exists on the continent. So the question that you, the question that you raised about the African terms of how do we, how do we, how do we diminish, how do we get rid of, you know, that kind of mindset that make African leaders predisposed to participate, participate in their own um, and their own impoverishment. How do we how do we end that? It's it's a very difficult thing to do, brother Africa. As long as you, it's, with the question in terms of classism, uh, the the question in terms of uh, uh, self hatred, um, the question in terms of uh, you know um, uh, not properly being educated, all those things combine to make a very uh, interesting soup in terms of uh, difficulties in terms of trying to get people to understand why these kind of practices should be avoided. 
It's a very difficult thing to do. Anything short of a of revolution, you know, on the continent uh, or or neo colonial struggles in Africa, uh, I, I don't think it's going to do the job. And I think Africa is the point in which you have to have you have the colonial struggles. Now Africa has to go through neo colonial struggles. You have to get rid of corrupt Africans. I mean, that's just the bottom line, I think. So I think anything short of that is I, I don't see any way in terms of preventing this kind of thing from happening, simply because the uh, the corruption is just too is is, is too manifest. On the continent So that's my position And Brother Moses In terms of this distraction Of this impeachment Of Donald Trump From your perspective Where do you see this going? Well I think I think the Republicans uh, Continue to make politics out of it And and deny the, the Obvious That he was Grabbing and, and uh, trying to get favors done, and they was mafia style, but it was nevertheless was bribery, and uh, and I think you know, I think it's going to be hard to get the Republicans to admit reality, and so therefore, impeachment in terms of the conviction in the Senate is is pretty much not going to happen. Uh, unless somebody changes their mind and their heart, uh, I'll just leave it right I, there. Thank you. I think we all agree with you. It's just a game. You're not gonna get anything from it in terms of the impeachment. And what we're gonna do right now, we're gonna pause for this cause, and when we come back, we we'll have each one of our analysts and panelists give their final thoughts for tonight. This is Africa on the Moon.
email us at africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. So this is a part one of a part two series from reading you can learn tonight. We really highlight and discuss really the legacy of Brother Kwame Ture. We will pick up on part two as we discuss some interesting history of Clarence Thomas and others. So what we're going to do right now for this program is close out with our endless, endless uh, final thoughts. We start with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you. It's been interesting. Um, I'm, I apologize for not being as, as focused. Uh, I'm kind of tired tonight, and uh, I look forward to next week as we be refreshed and uh, up to date on the situation. Thank you. And we thank you, Brother Moses, always for your contribution, your honesty, and uh, we all humor. We thank you for your effort. Next we go with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that it's important for Africans to join a political organization. In this day and age, there's no reason without the range of organizations that exist down here for Africans not to belong to an organization. Only or only if we are organized can we defeat the enemies of our people and restore our uh, our, our our homeland and gain our liberation. So Pan Africanism is the key to the liberation of African people worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Hake, your announcement and your final thoughts. Yes, the All African People Revolutionary Party, uh, uh, GC, uh, we've been doing a tribute and celebration to Brother Kwame Toure, also known as Stokely Carmichael. This, this program takes place November 25th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Uh, this takes place at Western Memorial United Methodist Church, 1720 Mechanicsville Turnpike in Richmond. For more information, we ask people to give us a call at area code 202-246-4896 or area code 804-644-5830 or email us at african at a-aprp-gc.org. We encourage people to come and show their love and respect for Brother Kwame Toure. And my closing statement, Brother Africa, is, you know, my position is that the decision for African people is very perilous. And uh, I think that you know, one of the things, when we look in terms of the economic realm and we look in terms of the disparity between the have and the have not, we have to fundamentally understand that the reason why this exists in the first place is because on the international level you have a situation where the, the leaders, uh, the elite of the society create a, situ- a, a situation where in order for them to get wealthy, they realize that the kind of sturdy practices that uh, they routinely exhibit around the world in terms of you know, lower pay, uh, longer working hours, uh, fewer jobs, equates to more profit. And so, therefore, they have vested interest in terms of making sure that this policy continues. Meanwhile, it's having a, deter- a, a, a horrendous impact on the lives of so many people in society, particularly on African people. And what's happening is that given the fact that uh, African people have no useful place in society, it means that for the, for the system, you know, in terms of longevity, in order for it to survive, it has, a, it has a fundamental problem. That is, what did you do with all of these people you no longer have a need for? I think is we have to understand, when we talk about a system fundamentally saying, 
we have no need for all these people. What are we going to do with them? Then we understand the role of fascism. And so when we look at Nazi Germany or fascist Italy, and we look at it in terms of the trauma inflicted upon the people, we understand that all those things that happened in Nazi Germany and fascist Italy are going to happen here but threefold. Because with the advent of technology, it makes it much easier for them to systematically destroy increasingly larger number of people. So we've got some problems here. So what are we going to do? Are we going to organize? Are we going to create institutions? Are we going to simply, you know, take the business as usual, the choices are ours to make? So clearly we're in trouble, and I encourage people, you know, to please unravel that, unravel that matrix because we have to understand clearly what's going on. We have to get organized. There's no two ways about it. And, Brother Africa, you have a good night. I'd like to thank all our participants and panelists for today's program. I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, for allowing us to come to our home where we can speak truth to power and share and provide information to you so that hopefully you can use it as a tool to help liberate your people and help liberate humanity from all the various forms of oppression. Remember, you can tune in on this program, to this program, every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. Uh, call in number 323 any views or comments can be expressed by contacting us at Africa on the Move to at Gmail. At Gmail. Until next time, we want to always remind you that let's continue to subscribe to go forward our backwards level. And the only way we can do this is to be organized. Therefore, join an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and humanity. Until next time, we leave you with some music of liberation. From Palestine to abomination, this has been Africa on the Moon. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Needs her, freedom. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine. Needs her freedom. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine. 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 Palestine.
our love. That's up. Some That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America can stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes using depleted uranium? Babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck who's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man. Colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, Fuck it, I'll do it. A master of the sky, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should have known he was trained in Chicago. Work a chairman, Fred and Mark Clark. What they do in the dark will come out in the light. Like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last thing to imperialism. I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gates, this ain't living. Jeremiah Wright, Joe's a 
Obama, the bomber, getting ready for Syria. First black president, the masses were hungry, but the same president just bombed an African country like. The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
And uh, to all the ladies having babies on their own, I know it's kind of rough when you're feeling all alone. Daddy's long gone and he left you by your lonesome. Thanks the Lord for my kids, even if nobody else wants Cause I think we can make it in fact, I'm sure. And if you fall, stand tall and come back for more. Cause ain't nothing worse than when your son wants to know why daddy don't love him no more. You can't complain, you were selfish. Hell in my hand without a man. Yeah. 